friends, I'm Mercedes from The Noshery. And I'm Rebecca from Foodie with Family. And it's time for another helping of My Plate is Always Full. This week's episode is We Like a Sandwich Piled High with Opinions, where we will be talking about our favorite sandwiches, the origins of the sandwich, classic sandwiches, and everything you need to know to make a really great sandwich. Man, I said sandwich a lot. quite a few conversations slash debates regarding the sandwich. We certainly have a lot of opinions about sandwiches, and we've had way too many conversations about this. I would say it hasn't gotten heated, but one of the sandwiches did. So is that a pun? It's a pun. That's a pun. It's a sandwich pun. So uh, I know we've had a few debates in regards to the sandwich, and I think a lot of it probably comes from like our different backgrounds, right? I agree. You know, depending on what you grow up eating, it's like what you feel attached to and that will shape your opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing we can both agree on before we discuss what we disagree is that sandwiches are comfort food no matter where you're from. That that I I can agree. I I can agree with that. So, just to give you guys all a little bit of a background, I am originally from Puerto Rico which uh, we do love sandwiches there, but we're really big on the hot pressed sandwich um, that you'll find in a lot of uh, local panaderias, which means bakery. I'm from the Great Lakes region or the Midwest, where we believe that the bigger the sandwich is, the closer it is to God. (laughs) So we like a big hearty sandwich packed full of all sorts of goodies. Which is literally the opposite of what we do. And I'm, I'm assuming these are cold sandwiches, right? Uh, sometimes, not always. So there, you know, there can be some temperature interplay there and textural interplay. But generally speaking, yeah, it's probably cold. Because we are very much, I'm very much into like the hot sandwich and press sandwiches, which, you know, I'm talking about like the Cuban sandwich, which oh, is yeah. a traditional a press sandwich that you'll find throughout the Spanish Caribbean in the Dominican Republic. Even though it's called a Cuban sandwich, you'll find it in the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and Cuba, of course, uh, its namesake. And it's if you're not familiar with what a Cuban is, it's um, made with pan de agua, which means water bread, essentially. And it'll have roast pork in it, ham, Swiss, mustard and pickles. It'll be pressed and it'll be warm and it'll be toasty. And you know what the cool thing is, is the cool thing. The is, cool is, thing is not the sandwich. Lots of is, is there. <laughs> well, no, of course it's not cool because it's a hot sandwich, but you can fit it in your mouth. Because I swear some of these piled high sandwiches, like what I'm picturing you describing to me like you almost need a fork and a knife with them like 14 pounds of meat between okay so i i I have to stop you there for just a second because i know that there are a lot of visuals out there of these massive hedge you know head-sized pastrami on rye from new york city that's not what i'm talking about that that is a fork and a knife if you can't actually pick it up and take a bite of the entire thing it's it's not a sandwich to me. 
but we can we can get into that a little bit more later. Okay. I like that clarification though because I was totally picturing like I don't know like 2 inches of deli meat with like a slice of cheese and some mustard on it or something. No, no, you got to be able to you have to be able to take a bite of everything that's on there at once or it doesn't count as a sandwich to me. Then it's just an exercise in defying gravity. <laughs> Because I've had a few experiences where you're like, your sandwich is literally, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, I have picked meat off of a sam- off of a sandwich just to eat it. Like that's. <laughs> have you ever seen the sandwiches from Katz's Deli in New York City? I mean, City? I've watched When Harry Met Sally. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's not, to me, that's not the ultimate sandwich. Okay. But I, I do like, I do like a sandwich that is maybe a little bit of a challenge to bite into, but nothing that is going to stop you. Well, like, have you ever seen these sandwiches where you like bite into it and you get a nose full of deli meat? Yeah, I have. And that that doesn't do it for me either. That's just too much work. (laughs) I I don't want to work really hard to eat. I, okay. I'm, I feel, I feel much more at peace with your expectations of what a good sandwich is because I'm like, was totally just what I, I mean, obviously you can understand what I had pictured in my head. (laughs) Yeah. After all these years of friendship, you doubt me. I wasn't doubting you. I was maybe questioning your choices. There's a difference. (laughs) I'm not sure there's a really big, a really big line there. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about the history of the sandwich, if I might. Yes. Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more as our like resident historian, because there's just a giant group of people here right now. Right. Um, (laughs) I would love to hear a little bit about the history of the sandwich. Okay, so let me preface this by saying I don't actually have a handle on useful history. I just have a handle on quirky food history, which might come in handy sometime if I'm ever on Jeopardy. So that said, I mean, I'm sure there's a food category somewhere. There's got to be a sandwich category. So sandwiches did pre-exist the moment I'm about to tell you. However, they were popularized by John Montague, who was also the fourth Earl of Sandwich in 1762. And yes, there is a place called Sandwich. I was about to say, because if you're a Earl of, there has to be a geographic location. Right. Yes. So Sandwich is a historic town and parish in Dover, which is in Kent, which is in Southeast England. Okay. Thanks for the geography lesson, because I was lost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now you can find your way to Sandwich. Uh, So John Montague was a notorious gambler, and he wanted to stay at his table playing cards, I think the legend goes. So he asked the cook to put a couple of slices of roast beef between two pieces of bread so that he could hold them and continue playing and gambling. It sounds like an efficient choice, you know, one-handed deal. Right. Yeah. So it's it's legit. So the comfort food that ex- extends the world over was popularized by an inveterate gambler in Southeast England, which I think is kind of fun. You know, when you mentioned um, Mr. Montague, fourth Earl of Sandwich, I went ahead and because I'm a visual person, so I had to look up you know, a picture of him. Uh huh. And just looking at his portrait, he looks like a degenerate gambler. <laughs> yeah, but we have to be thankful that he gave us the sandwich. 
I mean, I'm glad his gambling addiction did lead to us getting the, you know, the modern day sandwich. Yeah. So props to John Montague. Thank you, sir, for popularizing the sandwich. (laughs) And there's another little interesting tidbit about sandwiches. They have a little bit of a, um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm, I'd like here. You don't have to be careful. They have they have a seedy they have a seedy history too because in New York City in about 1896 uh, pre prohibition laws in the state of New York were being enforced by the New York City Police Commissioner Commissioner you might have heard of him Teddy Roosevelt yes I do know of Teddy Roosevelt actually so he was forcing bars to close at midnight on Saturday party pooper. <laughs> Yeah, these pre-prohibition laws were introduced by a New York representative named John Rains. So these were called the Rains Laws, and the Rains Laws. So included- Rains Rains introduced it, and Roosevelt enforced it. Is yes, correct. Okay. Yep. So these Rains Laws included that the bar had to close at midnight on Saturday, and then they also banned bars from carrying on what was a cherished. 19th century tradition on Sundays, which was that bars would give you a free lunch when you ordered your drinks. Don't they kind of do that in Spain? I think they do. Like, I think they do. Like if you order a cocktail or a drink or something like that, they give you they have like an array of tapas available like to snack on. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's kind of the same concept, but in 1896 in New York City. Yeah. So what they were trying to accomplish with this was that they saw Sunday as the Sabbath and they didn't want people to be degenerates on the Sabbath and lie around in bars and get drunk. Well, heaven forbid, you don't want to be drunk after church or go to church, you know, drunk. Exactly. (laughs) But Reigns left a loophole in his laws. And that was that if you were a lodging house or a a hotel. Excuse you. (laughs) Yeah, pardon me. Woo. Talk about degenerate. So the loophole was that unless you were a lodging house or a hotel, you had to close at midnight on Saturday and couldn't serve drinks on Sunday. If you were a lodging house or hotel, you could continue to serve drinks with food seven days a week as long as the food was purchased. Okay. So it gets a little complicated. But the point here is that what they were trying to do is eliminate the seedy little bars that were distributed throughout New York City. Yeah, but I'm sure the seedy little bars did like a little workaround or something like that. Oh, they did. And this is where it gets interesting. I'm I'm sure. (laughs) What they did was they got enterprising and they decided, okay, we'll register as a hotel. They would install beds in the basement of the bar. Beds that probably nobody slept on. Yeah. Or maybe some did. Who knows? We kind of hope they didn't step on it or sleep on it, rather, because that would be (laughs) disgusting. But what they did was they would pay for their alcoholic beverage, and then they would order what they called a Reigns sandwich. So it was named for this lawmaker. The lawmaker, yeah. Right. So they'd order a Reigns sandwich with the whiskey. The catch is that the Reigns sandwich was actually reusable and completely inedible. What? But was it like was it like a fake sandwich? No, no, it was a legit sandwich because they had to follow through all of these little loops that had been 
thrown at them or hoops. They had to jump through the hoops that rains threw at them. So it was legitimately a sandwich, but it was a sandwich that had been brought out to the table, left there while the consumer drank their whiskey, and then taken back to the bar or the kitchen oh to be taken out to somebody else's table. No and way. these things were dusty. No. And they were moldy and oh. they were disgusting. Oh my gosh. And it was the same sandwich for I, everybody who ordered. I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so it would just return to the bar and accompany the next order out. Now, the reason they had to do this. That is, I'm sorry, but that is. It's pretty revolting, isn't it? So gross. And not to mention, like, so unsanitary. But. Because, I mean, well, I'm not sure they cared. I know, like their goal, I mean, I'm guessing like their goal is they just wanted to drink, obviously. Yeah. But this is made out of like real food. So it's molding and getting gross and spoiled. Right. But the kicker- And they just keep reusing it. it, They did over and over and over again. And the same sandwich would go on as long as the bar was- allowed to operate you know they they'd cycle through something every now and then it had- but the the real kicker here is that one of the other parts of rain's law was that on sunday they had to keep the curtains open on the windows in the bar okay why so that when roosevelt's police officers were patrolling they could just look in and see if people were like violating the rules exactly and that's why they had to have these actual sandwiches at the tables. Well, because heaven forbid, like the officers did a little bit of extra work and like walked into a place. Well, yeah, I mean, it it didn't actually matter because interestingly enough, they viewed that as observing the letter of the law. And I'm not sure the police actually felt like enforcing all of this because they were. Yeah, it was probably one of these annoying, like, we're doing our job, but it's not really something right like we right. want to deal with. So, <laughs> we have more important things to deal with. So go ahead and drink your whiskey. Than like making sure someone has a sandwich with their beer. Exactly. So anyway, those those rain sandwiches are not going to be on my table anytime soon. I don't know about you. No, I will definitely uh, be taking a pass on that one. And then my thought is, is that early on, it had to stink. Oh, I'm sure of that. So can you imagine having a moldy, a, you know, a moldy bread and stinky slimy oh discolored oh meat. please don't no more sitting I can't. next to you at the table i'm okay. like so visual let's, let's move into <laughs> let's let's move into something that's tastier <laughs> i'm legit traumatized <laughs> okay let's moving along <laughs> now let's segue into something more delicious <laughs> yes please <laughs> so we've talked about um our personal preferences when it comes to sandwiches you know, like my hot, yummy press sandwich and your, which I now know is not giant two foot meat sandwich, but yes. something. Right. Well, compared to a press sandwich, it still looks a mile high. But I mean, it's, oh, it's not. Yeah. It's, it ain't a rain sandwich. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so but let me ask a quick question here. Sure. Would you consider burgers to fall within the, you know, sandwich category? I think we have to say that burgers fall in the sandwich category. It's meat between two pieces of bread, which was what John Montague ate at the card table. So I think burgers have to go in that category. But we've got an entire other episode about burgers. 
So let's just kind of shelve that. Yeah, because I'm I would be curious to know like where the origin, so to speak, of a burger came from. Because I'm sure it, I mean obviously it wasn't McDonald's, right? And and I don't think there's an Earl of Burger in history, honestly. Of hamburger, is there what an Earl of Burger, like a hamburger? I wonder. Right, well, there's Hamburg, Germany. Yeah, maybe that's it. Well, we'll have to. Dis- this is definitely another topic that we'll have to discuss. Because maybe it did come from Hamburg, Germany. Maybe it did. We'll, we'll get into that. And and then, so what about, like, do you have any, like, a favorite sandwich? Like, we talked about, like, our style of sandwich. But what about a favorite sandwich? I do. Despite, despite the fact that my style of sandwich is probably a little bit more effusive than your style of sandwich. Uh, okay, you're using girl, you know with me in the big words. What? Okay. My my style of sandwich is <laughs> I speak two languages. Okay, so my style of sandwich is generally speaking a little more frou-frou. Okay, gotcha. You know, it it tends to have more stuff on it, but when it comes down to my all-time favorite sandwich, I have to go with a Cuban. Oh, really? I did not see that one coming. Yes, mm. because I love the pickle. I like spicy mustard. I like the barbecue or the, you know, barbecue pork or pulled pork, whatever you want to have on there. I love the ham. It's it's everything good all in one sandwich and and it goes with everything. It is a good sandwich. So what would you say is your favorite sandwich? It is I mean, I love the Cuban. Don't get me wrong, because the one of the cute the one of the <laughs> one of the key things uh, I speak English real well. One of the key things about a Cuban is uh, the bread. It's on Cuban bread, which is a very like just simple water flour um, bread, and uh, so it, it's not. It doesn't have any egg in it or anything like that. So it comes out like really crisp and airy and toasty. Almost when you press it, like it'll have like a nice little crack to it, right? Well, you know, we've been friends for a while, right? And you know that I love that whole sweet savory combination. Yes, you do. So actually my favorite sandwich, which I cannot find here in the States, but you can find at almost any bakery um, back home in Puerto Rico, is a sandwich called Medianoche, which means middle of the night. And it's a Cuban sandwich, but it is done on an eggy sweet bread or what we'll also call like a pan sobao, which is a sweet, um, like soft, fluffy bread. And so would that compare to, you know, just for somebody who had not been to Puerto Rico, would that compare possibly to a brioche? I guess it would be close to a brioche. I think that is a fair comparison. Um, I don't know if it has as much because a brioche has egg and butter, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It does. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm not really 100% sure because I'm not a baker. We, I mean, you know, I'm not a baker. Um, <laughs> you keep saying that, but I don't think you know what that means. Well, I attempt baking, but I am not a confident baker. Let's put it that way. Okay. And, um, I know that the bread is like a soft kind of sweetened eggy bread, but I'm not hundred percent sure if it has butter in it. So I'm not okay. like, I would say it's comparable to a brioche. Um, but I wouldn't, it's not like, usually when you see a brioche, the loaf is like a big fat fluffy loaf. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the shape of it is usually just kind of like Cuban bread, except it's a sweet bread as opposed to a plain bread. Okay. So, or like it's an egg bread as opposed to a water based bread. So, 
I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this because I've never had a medianoche. Uh huh. So in my brain, I'm I'm thinking of this as the brioche, ham, pork, pickle, mustard. Yeah, yeah, and, and Swiss, Swiss cheese. cheese too. Can't forget the cheese. Right. Oh well, of course not. So. It, if I if I described it that way to myself, I wouldn't be too far off, correct? No, you wouldn't. And I think if you wanted to make a version of it at home, you would be totally fine with doing it maybe between two pieces of brioche on a panini press or something like that. Okay. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. like you, I think you could totally do that. And I mean, it's not going to be like the most legit medianoche, but you're going to be pretty close. So Am I forced to only eat this in the middle of the night or can I have it whenever I feel like it? Uh, No, I think it's like whenever you feel like it. And um, the reason I believe it became uh, such a staple is that or it got its name is because it became a staple um, at nightclubs, like late at night. Oh, okay. So that's it was like something what you would have after, you know, having a night out at the clubs um, in Havana or whatever, and you wanted like a quick press sandwich and it was, um, and they would make medianoches, which were basically Cubans, but with a egg bread. And a lot of times back home, which I find this kind of interesting is that because it's an egg bread and they want to like pump up the egginess of it, so to speak, um, or at least the perception of it being eggy, the bread will usually um, be a little bit a dyed uh, with like a yellow or orangey like food coloring or something like that. So it it takes on this like really bright color. And I don't know why, because... Well, you know, if you've got a chicken, if you've got an egg yolk that is maybe a little anemic looking, a lot of times people will add annatto or something to make it look like it's a more farm fresh egg. Yeah. So it doesn't really like add anything to the flavor. But for me, like if I were to say order a medianoche and they give it to me and it's like pale, I'd be like, well, this is weird. You know what I mean? It has to be like this bright orangey kind of color. (laughs) Right. Which is just ridiculous because I know it's food dye. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. It's not exactly lending any flavor to the party, but it's helping you visually. And as we've discussed, you are a very visual person. Yeah. So it's not even like, it's not like they're using some really high quality free range eggs that are giving it this bright orange color. No, it's food dye. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Whatever it takes, especially if it's in the middle of the night. I know, right? So these are, we're, we're talking about classic sandwiches now. Yeah. You know, the Cuban... And the medianoche, they're they're classic sandwiches. But what makes them classic? Why why are they such good sandwiches? Um, I don't know. I just think I think a classic sandwich just has some kind of cultural history tied to it. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, for instance, if you think about sandwiches that are big in cultural history, lobster rolls on the East Coast. Yeah. From like Maine, right? Right. From Maine. And I think down into New York City, probably. That's a classic. And it's, I think part of what makes that is the sweet and savory interplay. The sweetness, I guess, from the lobster. Exactly. Exactly. And then usually lobster rolls are on toasted buns, aren't they? To help provide a little structure. Yeah. Do you know if it's like a sweet toasted bun? Kind of like... Or is it like a hot dog type bun? I think it's usually a hot dog type bun, but there are so many varieties of that. You know, you've got potato rolls and you've got a a basic enriched dough, which would have some egg and a little bit of sugar. Then you've got really lean rolls as well. So I think there are so many options in there. But I think that the standard lobster roll comes on a pretty regular bun, but they're 
usually split on top instead of on the side. Yeah, that I have seen. I've definitely seen that. And believe it or not, I don't think I've, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I don't know if I ever had like a really good, legit lobster roll. Oh my gosh. Okay. I was actually in Portland, Maine a few years ago and I was eating at the house of a friend and she made the best lobster roll I have ever had in my life. She may have even gone out and caught the lobster herself for all I know, but it was the freshest sandwich ever. See, I think that would would have to be the key to a lobster roll uh-huh. because I've never lived along an, an area um, where lobsters were prevalent or easy to get to. And so a lot of times my experience with lobster has been where it's been shipped in or it's been frozen and defrosted. You know what I mean? Right. And so I Which is just not the same thing. Yeah. And so I, I don't think I've ever been a huge, I'm not like against lobster, but I don't think I've ever been like a huge fan of it because I haven't had it like really, really fresh. I I need I need to have that experience. You're you're kind of consistent here. So I'm I'm about to tattle on you a little bit because I think of lobster rolls as being a swanky version. Oh, somebody's going to come at me for this one. A swanky version of tuna salad. I don't, I don't like tuna salad. <laughs> I know. See, I said I was going to tattle on you. Because it's lobster with an aioli or a mayonnaise dressing on a hot dog roll, essentially. Yeah. So it's fancy, but not at the same time. Tuna salad, it's fish with a mayonnaise dressing or an aioli on, you know, some pretty basic bread usually. I... I love tuna salad sandwiches. I know you don't. Can you explain why? I Okay, so hmm. I don't like canned tuna. <laughs> That's a pretty big strike against tuna salad. I just Now, oddly enough, now that there is the whole pouched tuna, um I can do a pouched tuna, but I can't do canned tuna. However, I don't even remember the last time I had a tuna sandwich just because I've always been kind of just like so, you know, (laughs) negative about tuna sandwiches. Because I can, I, you're, I know you say that I'm crazy and I've had people say that I'm kind of nuts, but when it's canned, I can taste the can. I can taste it. (laughs) I would love to do a blind taste test with you (laughs) and see if you can actually do this. And yeah, I am 100% going to hold this over your head for the rest of our lives. I know you don't believe me. If you actually No, I don't. I think you just haven't tried it the right way because there's more than one way to make a tuna salad sandwich. We'll have to have a tuna sandwich. Oh my God, I can't even believe I'm suggesting this. A tuna sandwich (laughs) episode because I, I, I... Hand to God, I I believe I can taste the can. Okay, we're going to test this the next time we're, you know, hanging out. But moving on, what about other sandwiches? Oh, oh, she's changing the subject. Okay, well, just, just for one second, let's stick with the mayonnaise-bound sandwich concept here. Okay, and I'm, I'm down with mayonnaise. I'm cool with mayonnaise. Okay, do you like egg salad and chicken salad sandwiches? I do like egg salad. However, I'm very particular, and I like chicken salad sandwiches. Okay. Um, I am particular about the egg salad because, for me, you cannot overcook that yolk. I agree. Okay, we're, we are 100% in agreement on this. I'm a little high maintenance on my egg salad. For real. Like if it gets chalky and if it turns green, especially, I'm, I'm out. Right. Like I'm just, I'm not participating. Well, that's gross. <laughs> so I, I have to say along the same line as the lobster roll, 
the best egg salad sandwich I ever had was made for me by my mother-in-law. And at the time, I was working at an advertising agency, and she invited me to come over for lunch. And I was pregnant, expecting my first son. And I walked in, and she says, hey, I made egg salad for you. And I went, oh, thank you. You were probably like, ew. I was horrified, because my experience (laughs) with egg salad up to that point had not been good. It was, I I don't know if everybody who gave me an egg salad sandwich up to that point gave me overcooked yolk. Like just did it wrong. Right. But Dolores made this egg salad sandwich for me. The eggs were perfectly boiled. The yolks were yellow. And not only did she put the perfect amount of mayonnaise in, she added chopped green olives. Oh, that's interesting. Like I always put like some diced pickle or something in there, but chopped green olives. I usually put in... Yeah, so I like my sandwiches now the way Dolores made them for me with chopped green olive and chopped Vidalia onion. Oh, that sounds yummy. Go on and try that. I might have to. Just trust me. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. That little bit of salt is spectacular. I do have like a deviled egg, uh, deviled egg salad on my website, which I'm a I I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think it's a very good egg salad. I think you should toot that horn. It sounds great. (laughs) But my big thing is is too, is that I'm very big on consistency and texture. Mm -hmm. And so I actually push my eggs through a um, uh, like a spider. Okay. Explain for the good people what a spider is, chef. Yes. A spider is basically... Um, if you've seen Asian cooking, um, you'll see like a kind of like a little handheld, round, shallow kind of basket that they use for frying. Yes. Um, and that is essentially a, uh, not essentially, it is a spider. Um, another um, thing that you can use is a, a ricer. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll work really well if you kind of use like the larger holes of the ricer, which is basically a press that is used a lot for making like mashed potatoes or something like that, where you uh, press it through a bunch of like little holes. So you you actually like the texture of your egg salad to be incredibly fine. Almost saucy. Yeah, I like it fine. Yeah. I don't like it. And because my other thing too is that I don't like it super chunky to where when I go and bite into it, it's all like falling out of the bread. Okay. So I like, I like my eggs to be in a, a maybe even upwards of a medium dice. But when you start adding things in like the Vidalia onion and the chopped green olive, it doesn't stand out so oddly. It actually works. It sounds delicious. And the same thing goes for like, chicken salads too. Like I like my chicken salad sandwich to be pretty shreddy. Yeah. And, um, but I do, interestingly enough, I like chunky things in my chicken salad. I don't know why. It's so weird. Like why I like it this way over here, but I like it the complete opposite over here. Cause like, I like the half, you know, um, what do you call these things? Grapes? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that is the English word for it. And like the nuts in it. I I am not a fan of celery, so I don't like celery in my chicken salad. But you like nuts. But I like a little bit of nuts. I like the grapes or cranberries, something like that, to give it that little bit of a texture. I really like that. Okay. And you, again, you're, again, with the sweet and savory. Uh, yes. You're, I'm, you are a model of consistency. I really enjoy the sweet and savory and I'm very big on texture. Like these are my things. 
<laughs> is everybody picking up on this? I know. These like, are her things. There is there is a theme here. What about uh, Monte Cristo or something like that? Like something that's like deep fried, like a real hammy. I like a hammy sandwich too. Ooh, yeah. Yep. So I used to work um I used to work as a prep chef at a bistro and Monte Cristos were one of the most popular items on the menu and I would be prepping late at night and working the pub grub station at the same time and I would just be assembling probably a hundred Monte Cristo sandwiches to put in the walk-in to drop in the deep fryer the next day. And so, does does the Monte Cristo always get served with a raspberry sauce? Um, I don't. Or is that like just like a condiment that became like a thing? I've always seen it served with a raspberry yeah, sauce. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the law. I don't think the ghost of the Earl of Sandwich is going to come haunt you if you leave the raspberry jam off. But I think it's probably on there 90% of the time. Okay. Like I always, I was kind of wondering like if that was a traditional thing or if that was like something that was added on here in the States. You know what I mean? Because here in America, we always want to like give our own little twist to something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that one, I don't actually know for a certainty. Uh, that is that is a gap in my food trivia knowledge, unfortunately. And speaking of like all American sandwiches, what about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You know what? I've got some opinions about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and they're not necessarily flattering ones. So I love peanut butter and jelly. I am okay with peanut butter and jelly. I can't be your friend anymore. <laughs> I like peanut butter and jelly, but there are some rules. I mean, I agree there's rules. Like, I, let me hear your rules. Okay. I think our rules are probably going to be different on this one. Oh. I like peanut butter and jelly on wheat bread. Nope. I mean, maybe. I told you. We're going to be a little different here. Preferably homemade bread. Oh, well, yeah, because we all have time to bake homemade bread. Well, I mean, everybody <laughs> knows somebody who bakes. I'm sure you can figure out some way to barter. The barter system is not completely completely dead. Um, Mind you guys, Rebecca's like a baker. Like she legit has a book on baking. <laughs> well, I do, but it's not all. It doesn't have to be complicated bread. It just has to have a little bit of body to it because it can't all be soft and soft and soft and soft. No, I agree. I agree. Totally. So also, it has to be crunchy peanut butter for me. Nope. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with you? Uh, see, this is what I'm telling you. I knew we were going to disagree on this because I like to have that texture. So I mean, yeah, but no. Yes. Okay. And furthermore, since... I just snorted. Since, <laughs> since we're talking about things you're going to disagree with, um, it has to be jam, not jelly for me. Okay. I agree with that. Yes. For me, it has to be jam, like no. preserves. I don't like it to be jelly. However, okay, I, it has to be strawberry. Strawberry or blueberry for me. I could do blueberry, but I cannot do grape. Yeah, no. Grape is just, that's not working for me. My kids love it. Yeah. So Also, occasionally, I like it toasted. Really? I love it. It's so delicious. Okay. I have I have not tried that, but I, I may have to give it a go. But it will be with crunchy no, peanut butter. Thank you very much. And then um, one of these things, because, you know, Rebecca made some notes for me, and I'm a little confused by this... What is this? A Welsh rarebit? Ooh, okay. That's actually it, it's it looks like it says rarebit, but it's pronounced rabbit. Oh, I have never heard of a Welsh. I feel like I'm like tongue twisting. A Welsh Welsh rabbit. Rabbit. <laughs> rabbit. Yes. So, um, spoiler alert: there is no rabbit actually in the sandwich. Oh, that's a disappointment because I do love me some rabbit. I do too. I do too. But this this sandwich this is fun. Um, 
Some don't people, freak out people about the rabbit. No rabbits were harmed in the making of this sandwich. Exactly. I mean, they're delicious, but don't have a meltdown because I'm talking about eating a rabbit. No. <laughs> we're, we're having Welsh rabbit, which is not at all a rabbit. And it's also arguably only kind of a sandwich. Oh, is this one of these open face deals? Yeah. But basically what you're doing is you're toasting. That's not a sandwich. Oh, the Welsh would disagree. The Welsh. Welsh rabbit is essentially toasted bread, and it's usually a sturdy white bread, and it is covered in a super rich, melty cheese sauce. Okay. Sometimes it has slabs of tomato under the cheese sauce. So this is cheese and toast? Yeah, basically. Like like bread and cheese whiz on it? No, not cheese cheese or whatever? No, no, no. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's good. Okay, this is where you get into... You know, really good cheese. For uh, yeah, these. I'm sure so you would want to use a Welsh cheddar. I'm just being, I'm just being a turd. <laughs> You're being a smart aleck again. <laughs> My if default, I had a dime, I know, right? <laughs> so we've talked about a lot of sandwiches. I mean, I'm a big fan of the breakfast sandwich too, with like mm-hmm. a nice runny egg in it and well toasted, like yes, please bread. Right? Wait, okay. do you want it on? Do you want it on? On bread, on an English muffin, or on a biscuit? Here's I mean, a real my, test. My preference would be an English muffin. Same. But a good piece of sourdough would also be awesome. Yes. And a nice homemade buttermilk biscuit. I mean, I, See, I wouldn't kick that out of bed. For me, that would get a little too... I wouldn't kick it out of bed. I mean, we can snuggle up. I'm down with that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it wouldn't be... For me, the biscuit has to be... Like, I love a chicken biscuit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I want like... Especially because I like my egg runny. I don't right. know if I want that in a biscuit because then it all kind of sops up a little too much. Well, I would want a second biscuit on the side to sop up the yolk. Oh my goodness. Look at you. <laughs> it's called doubling down. I know. It's a skill. And then the last two I wanted to talk about real quick is the uh, the croc. Crocs? How do you say that? You speak croque French. Monsieur yeah, like, and croque madame. There, look at you. All proper. I speak Spanish, not French. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we They're can close. travel a lot of the world together know, right? between our three languages. Yeah. So the difference between them, if I am correct, now it has a bechamel and it has ham on mm-hmm. like that's broiled on bread, correct? Yes. And then the madame has an egg on it. Yeah. The the only difference is the fried egg, usually over easy on top. Um, that's what I'm talking about. The egg that's there is what makes it a croque madame. Oh, that is just, that just sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Here she goes. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me, I had an amazing croque madame in uh, Nashville at this little restaurant. It was like a brunch restaurant called, oh my gosh. So it was a French place. And I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's like M-A-C-H-E with a little like apostrophe okay, over so it. That would or be- M-A-R-C-H-E. Okay. Well, that would be Marché. Marché. Yeah. So it was Marché Artisan Foods. Um, and they're in Nashville. And oh my gosh, this thing was, I mean. Tell me about the sandwich. It was just so delicious and perfectly like, and I mean, mind you, this is an open face sandwich. Yes. So I'm always kind of real hesitant to say sandwich when it's open face, but I, it was just so creamy. And then the bread was like 
thick, but it wasn't dry and it was toasted. So you would get like a little bit of texture on the outside and it would be still fluffy on the inside. And then the egg was perfectly cooked and the bechamel was just like really well seasoned. Oh, oh I'm my gosh. This is making me really, I'm really. I'm sorry. I just, I just drooled on myself. Did like, you drool on was, the microphone? That's what I want to know. May, maybe a little bit. It was so good. So if you're ever in Nashville, you must go to, how do you say that again? Uh, Marche. Mar- Marche. Yeah. Marche. Marche. <laughs> I'd like to go to Marche. <laughs> so just to set your mind at ease, though, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, a croque madame and a croque monsieur can also be served as a closed sandwich. Oh. So it's still okay. it's still a sandwich. You're okay. But are you still putting the bechamel in or over it? Yeah, so you would open you would have it open when it goes under the broiler. Oh, and then with the bechamel serve it topped and then close it. Right. Gotcha. And then after you close it, you would pop the egg on top for a croque madame. Okay. So we've talked about like, for okay, so let's talk about building a really good sandwich. Right. Because now I'm starving. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about this real quick so we can wrap this up. Right. But let's give yes. you like some quick tips on how to build a really good sandwich. So like, well, let's, let's start with the building block, which is the bread. Yeah. Because if you don't have, if you haven't chosen the appropriate bread for the sandwich, it's all going to fall apart and you're probably going to cry. Yeah, but it also depends. The type of bread will depend on the type of sandwich you want. It does. So why don't we break this down? Let's start with a pressed sandwich. Since we talked a lot about our favorite Cubans and media yeah. noches. Well, a pressed sandwich, like, you know, for example, paninis are, con- are pressed sandwiches, as well as just like your traditional, like what I would think of when we talk about a press sandwich, which is like a Cuban medianoche, mortadella kind of deal. Um, right. And so the ones I grew up eating were just basically in either some type of uh, free form long loaf bread, like a French bread or a Cuban bread or something like that. Um Right. So a lean bread. Yeah, a lean bread. And sometimes you would scoop out some of the bread. Sometimes you don't. I don't think you should because if your loaf is done correctly, the inside of it shouldn't be too big. As opposed to like these giant French bread loaves that you see at some grocery stores here, um, like locally, where they just look like a big football fluffy bread. Um, kind of like when you're making garlic bread. Right. So you, know you what want I mean? an elongated loaf that's lean. Yeah, but not super lean where it's like a French baguette because baguettes are way too thin. Right. Um, and then you want something with like a crusty um, crust. <laughs> <laughs> Those are technical terms. In the I know. World. Or like a, a crisp crust or yes. like a flaky crust. Um, so they, because you, when you press it and you get it really hot under that iron, it has like a nice um crunch or crack to it. Um, And honestly, the thinner you can get it, um, which is the difference between a panini and a flat press, because the panini has the ridges and the flat press is just flat, like it's like a flat top. Um, And those I find you can get them flatter and more consistent. So you get like a really nice crunch on them. And then panini press um, panini bread sandwiches are usually done with some type of hearty sliced bread. And you still get a crunch out of them, but it's it's different. It doesn't have a snap. It just has like more like a, a toasted bread. Like, you know, if you eat a piece of toast, you kind of get a very similar texture with a panini press. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like giving a sandwich a waffle iron treatment. 
you can you can even make panini in a pinch in a waffle iron. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be a total valid hack. A tasty hack. And I find like in the panini press, a hearty whole grain bread also does really well. Right. It holds up a little bit better to the heat. I would almost say that it's the thickness of the slice that's more important than um, the, I mean, obviously the quality of the bread is important too. But right. if you were to do a panini press with a thin slice, you're basically going to like press right through the bread. You know right. what I mean? You want something that has a little bit of substance there without being too thick. Exactly. So those breads, the ones that you use for panini, I think can also work well with a deli sandwich. I agree. I agree completely. Because when you start talking about deli sandwiches, and this is where my my Midwestern sandwich comes into play here, um, you want to have a sandwich that's going to be able to hold up to whatever you're putting on it, even if it's not going to be as you were so fearful of two inches of deli meat on it. Um, <laughs> I still, to me, the perfect deli sandwich is going to start with a medium thickness slice of whole grain or sourdough. Yeah. And you're going to have sourdough. And we're all like obsessed with sourdoughs right now. Absolutely. I mean, don't you have a sourdough starter recipe on your site? I do. In case anybody is ever stuck at home again in the thing we shall not name, you can start your own sourdough starter with nothing more than flour and water. So it's a pretty it's a pretty easy prospect. And it's sort of like growing your own pet because you do have to feed it every day. So if you if you make that commitment, it's fine. But it's also really, really good with a purchased sourdough. So don't feel like you need to commit to that. Yeah. Um, But this is this is where I'm going to get a little bit a little bit bossy, folks. When you go to put deli meat the on warning. your sandwich, oh yeah, because I'm about I'm about to lay it down for warning, you. Warning, warning. <laughs> when you go to put that deli meat on the sandwich, if you just fold it or lay it flat on the oh, bread, oh yes, we had this discussion. I'm gonna come smack you, whoever you are, wherever so you are. Violent. This it makes me feel angry. The hostility when oh, is just oozing. <laughs> well, it's because it's it's a. It's the whole eating experience. If you've got that little flat, sad piece of ham or deli turkey on there, I just, it makes me shake my head. You've got to kind of hold it up above the bread and drape it down onto the sandwich. I don't, I'm not sure I'm I'm gathering how you feel about how to lay ham on a sandwich. Like, I'm not sure you're really conveying your feelings here, Rebecca. (laughs) I feel extremely strongly about draping the deli meat onto the sandwich and kind of giving it a little twist, you know, have it pile on there a little bit. It's still going to compact when you bite into it. You want the wave. Yes. You need the wave. Yes, it's a visual. Listen, Miss Visual, (laughs) you've told me how many times today that you're visually driven. Well, I'm visually driven when it comes to a deli sandwich. And I also like to have a lot of vegetables what? on my deli sandwich. Why do you sandwiches. want to take up so much room with vegetables? Because because you need to have lettuce. You need to uh, have tomatoes. Okay. You should probably have onion. A little unless bit. Unless you're, you know, one of those people who hates onions. I mean, I don't hate it, but case, I like a really, really thin slice of maybe red onion. Me too. Or Vidalia. I love me a Vidalia onion. But it, you need it there for the texture because the deli meat... You know, it's chewy, right? Yeah. Fine. That's You need something with some crunch to give your sandwich a little bit of interest. No, I get it. And I, don't... I get it. And that's, you know, the lettuce does that. The onion will do that for you. And a good pickle will also do that for you. Absolutely. And it, it brings flavor to the party too. Otherwise, you're just 
chewing on a piece of deli meat between two pieces of bread. Thank you very much, John Montague. Well, you literally are, but yes. So that also kind of goes into, it's funny how this all, like we went from the panini and the bread for the deli sandwich. And then if you want it hot, that same bread can also go in for your grilled cheese sandwich. It can. And you can actually, you know, I'm I'm very happy with a hybrid of a deli sandwich and a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Like grilled cheese sandwich doesn't mean only cheese. No, no. Although my dad would argue it does. He says otherwise it's a toasted cheese with things in it. Okay. (laughs) He's he's very strict on this. I I, Um, I sense that. (laughs) I, on the other hand, feel like if it is a grilled sandwich and it has cheese in it, it's a grilled cheese. Yeah. I think as long as it's been uh, like heat has been applied and cheese is therefore gooey, you have a grilled cheese sandwich. Right. So, you know, traditionally we would do a grilled cheese with a pat of butter. Does that, wait a minute, but that, does that make, if you put cheese in a panini, does that make it a grilled cheese sandwich? No, because you're pressing it, right? Right. So then you're, it's more about the method than it is about the cheese in there. This is like angels on the head of a pin right now. But yeah, we're I know. In agreement. But you know, this is what we talk about. These are these exactly. are our conversations. It's it's all about the details. It is, and and boy, aren't we fun at parties? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen Mercedes take somebody down over how they prepared pasta before. So okay, let's not talk about that story. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll save that one for another day. Anyway, <laughs> back to the grilled cheeses. So most people when they make a grilled cheese, either spread butter, softened butter on the bread before putting it in the hot pan or toss up. You're talking about the outside of it to toast it, right? Yeah. Or toss a pat of butter into the pan and melt it down and then throw their sandwich in. But you have a trick you like to use. I use mayonnaise. Mm. I use... Tell me why. Well, if you think about it, like it if you've never used it or you never heard this technique before, it sounds weird. And if you have an aversion to mayonnaise, it sounds gross. However, even if you have an aversion, I would highly recommend using mayonnaise because the thing is, is that mayonnaise, the basis of mayonnaise is what? Oil Oil and egg. And Mm -hmm. eggs. Egg yolk to be specific. And so these, both of these elements lend to toasting. They do. And I'm going to back you up because I don't always love mayonnaise. But I love grilled cheeses made with mayonnaise. Yeah. And you don't, they don't taste like mayonnaise. So even if you like out there in the world who is listening, if you have an aversion to mayonnaise, do not worry. Your sandwich will not taste like mayonnaise. It will not. But it will be perfectly golden and crisp. And then the egg yolk that is in that mayonnaise will also add sort of like a creamy golden texture to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I find, and, and also because you're using egg and oil, as opposed to when you're doing butter, you're using a dairy product, which has, you know, uh, milk solids in it and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is more forgiving uh, when it comes to toasting. Right. It's not going to scorch as easily. Exactly. The mayonnaise will give you more of like a, a golden texture. And I guarantee you, I'm not going to guarantee you, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. But you just did. I know. But I'm pretty sure that if I were to put a grilled cheese done with mayonnaise next to a grilled cheese done with butter. Um, you'll, I mean, there'll be a taste difference because obviously butter and mayonnaise taste differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless you're looking for it, you won't really notice it right off the bat. Do you, you know, know what I, I mean? I would say probably the one cooked with mayonnaise is going to be a little prettier, probably. Yes. 
Because usually the brown that you get with the butter is like a dark brown that would have right. a tendency to scorch around the toast edges. And the mayonnaise one is more of an even golden, crispy, crunchy deliciousness. Right. By the way, I have a grilled cheese on my site done with mayonnaise. Of course you do. All of these links will be offered in the description below. <laughs> Very smooth. <laughs> It, it, I would say it's smooth. <laughs> plug, plug. Smooth like butter, which reminds me, actually. Oh, my gosh. Is that a mom joke? Is that a mom I don't joke? Know. Are mom jokes as bad as dad jokes? I don't know. I'm not a mom, so I don't know. I'm just going to go with it. All right. Well, we'll we'll call it a mom joke because I am one. So I guess <laughs> by default, any joke I make is a mom joke. Is a mom joke. But I have to say, regarding butter and mayonnaise and the, the whole grilled cheese concept... I love the ones that are cooked in mayonnaise, but I also really have a thing for that distinctive butter flavor. So sometimes what I'll do is spread the mayonnaise on the bread, on the outside of the bread, and also melt just a small pat of butter in the pan. And that way I get a little bit of that flavor and it just is not going to have as as low a smoke point because the bread is mainly cooking because of the mayonnaise. Exactly. And I do that a lot also with cooking too, where I'll do like a tablespoon of uh, olive oil and a tablespoon of butter. Right. And that way you get that flavor because everybody knows butter makes everything better. Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, that's what they taught me in school. So, <laughs> so it kind of sounds like one of the... the I think the biggest key point to a sandwich and one of the most important things to building a really great great sandwich is is the bread. Agreed. Having the right bread, a good quality bread, and then the inside of the bread or the fillings or toppings, however you want to like describe the innards of a bread. Yeah. I mean of a bread, of a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I would like a bread for dinner. I know. <laughs> But you do still want to go with quality. But, you know, when you're talking about a sandwich and being able to hold it and eat it, it you really need to make sure that you have a really good bread. Yes. Because if you end up using like a Wonder white bread or something like that, and you put your fingers in it and your fingers go through the bread and you bite into it and it starts to fall apart, then you just, it's a stressful experience and it's not a great sandwich eating experience. No. And eating should be, you know, eating is one of the great pleasures in life. So why would you do anything less than a great bread? Exactly. So I would, I would definitely agree with that. And then also, um, you know, the deli meat is always something that is of your own preference, right. or it can be, you know, chicken, turkey, whatever. And another really important thing, specifically with the either press sandwich or the grilled sandwich, is the cheese. Oh, yes. Because you want it to have a stretch, a goo. You don't want it to, you almost don't want a cheese that will hold its shape and just kind of still stay basically in its solid state after applying heat to it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm talking about like, you know, the processed cheese type thing or a hard cheese, for example, like a Parmesan cheese, like a hard aged cheese. It's not that you can't put it in a sandwich, but if you're looking for a goo factor, if you're looking for a stretch factor, those are not your good cheese. Right. You'd probably want to go with a Monterey Jack or a Pepper Jack or a Swiss or, or something. Or a Fontina or something provolone. like that. Yeah. So those are kind of one. You want to go with like a semi, um, is that a semi-hard? 
I'm having a brain fart. Yes, it, it is a semi. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I was about to say, I was like, is that right? <laughs> yes. I have my moments. Oh, we all do. I know. So we talked a lot about sandwiches. Who would think that we could talk this long about a sandwich? Well, I think I we we knew we could. Yeah. Yeah. We we had this one covered. So I'm hungry now. Tune in next week for our episode, I Speak French Fry, where we will be talking all about French fries from our favorite cuts to our favorite fast food French fry, the best potato for French fries, and a foolproof recipe for crispy baked fries. Join us next week for another helping of My Plate is Always Full. Stay hungry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcasting platform, leave a review, and share it with your friends to spread the love. You can also find links to today's recipes on our website, plateisalwaysfull.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions or episode requests, email us at myplateisalwaysfull at gmail.com.